0: back to the Phillies Nation podcast. I'm Ian Riccaboni. I'm joined by Steve Carino. And Steve, you're joining us fresh off a trip to Las Vegas. Fresh
1: off the trip. You know, I, I went out there for one reason, one reason only, and it's that and that was to put my annual bet down on the Phillies. Okay, I was out there to work, but I, I still had to put my uh, my bet down for the Phillies.
0: Yeah, well, of course, Ring of Honor had its 14th anniversary pay-per-view for the wrestling fans. Uh, of course, Ring of Honor and the stars of New Japan collided at Samstown Live, and uh, you can order the replay. But yeah, you you put down your annual bet in Vegas, and I have to ask you, last week and the first week, the line was still at 65 wins. Did you see any movement? And if it was still at 65, did you go over or under?
1: Well, actually, it ended up being 66 and a half.
0: Whoa!
1: So I don't know if like you know we got a little uh, traction with the the Phillies Nation podcast or or what happened, but uh, I think we did uh, we did pretty well. We got that number up a little bit, and I still went with the over because I believe that the Phillies will go either you know seventy and ninety two or seventy two and ninety. And so I went with the over. I put my five dollars down, and uh, and if I do win, which I believe I will. I will get a big $9.15 back.
0: Right. Well, you know, there was a couple of things that I saw. I think we might have influenced the line a little bit. Uh, Dave Zembroski of ESPN, he has a proprietary system he calls Zips. He put the Phillies at 68.5 to 71.5. So he's a little more bullish on the Phillies too. And, you know... You mentioned the great listeners of the affiliation podcast. We have to thank them before we get any further. Uh, we appeared on the new and noteworthy section of not only the iTunes sports section, but also the very front page of iTunes. So thank you to everybody who's been listening and subscribing. Um, and don't blame us if you put a bet on the under and you lose because we're telling you go over, uh, this is not a betting podcast. So, you know, gambling commission don't come after us. So uh, you're you're saying (laughs) at your own risk (laughs) buyer beware. Um, But yeah, so in Vegas, 66 and a half. See, that doesn't surprise me because a lot of the national writers I've been reading are actually uh, more more bullish as well on the Phillies. And during today's broadcast, you know, happy baseball day. The first major league spring game of the season was the Phillies in a grudge match rematch with the University of Tampa Spartans. Uh, Their broadcasters were mentioning the kind of growing excitement around the Phillies this year.
1: And It was great to see that, you know, there's just something about that first day. I understand we're playing a college team and stuff like that, (laughs) but it's that they're putting on the uniforms, they're going out there, they're playing nine innings, and it it just, I don't know, man. It's like when gas goes down 15 cents, you get like that sense of everything's all right in the world for right now. So, you know, last year they suffered a, a, a huge defeat. And, you know, it was embarrassing and it kind of, you know, set the tone for the year. But this year they bounced back with an 8-3 to victory. And, uh, you know, it, anybody can, the pessimist can say, well, you're playing a college team. Well, you're doing this. It's all about momentum and experience and getting to this next level. And, you know, defeating teams that you should defeat. Is going to help that confidence.
0: Yeah, and, you know, there were some cool things. Um, You know, one of the things with Pete McCannon, his first year, first full year as a skipper, he came out right up and said, we want to win this game. And that was a little bit of a, you know, a different path than what we heard last year from Ryan Sandberg entering the season. Um, You know, Sandberg kind of treated it, you know, it's a college team, it's our first game, we'll get loose. McCannon came right out and said, we want to win this game. Uh, Jeremy Hellickson came right out and said, We lost to these guys last year. We want to win this game. Um, Hellickson came out, you know, a major league veteran, former rookie of the year. You'd expect him to come out and have a good game against college kids. He threw nine pitches, got the first three outs. Nola looked good. Um, The only guy that that didn't really look good uh, is Edward Mujica. A little disappointing. Gave up all three of the the Tampa runs. Uh, But Freire looked good. All the other pitchers look good. Some offensive standouts: Herrera 2 for 2, a run, RBI, stolen base, Nap 1 for 3 with a two-run single, a run and a walk, and uh Angelus Nina, 2 for 3, two RBIs, a run, stolen base. We'll hear more about him later as uh this is the infield edition of the the Spring Training Phillies Nation podcast. So, we'll get to him very very soon. But last week, you know, we promised that we would uh we would tell a George Bell story. So, Steve, we, well, (laughs)
1: George, Bell. like, I'm just, you know, I'm reading the notes here too. And I I get infuriated when I see the name George Bell. So I apologize for that little, that little pause there because I, 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 a lot of curse words came to my, my mind right away. (laughs) George Bell's on my list. Now let me set the stage. I was a Phillies and Cubs fans growing up you know, all my life, just because WGM plus the Phillies were hometown. I loved Larry Bow. I loved Ryan Sandberg. It just, there seemed to be a synergy between the Phillies and Cubs. Uh, you know, it would just, I would always have tickets for Vet stadium when the Cubs would come in town, yada, yada, yada. So it's 1990. I happened to be in Pittsburgh for this, for this weekend and for the life of me I can't remember why I'm in Pittsburgh I'm 17 years old I'm in Pittsburgh and I'm staying downtown and I'm at this hotel and I noticed all this luggage in the in the front and I see these stickers and they're all Cubs stickers right and I'm like get out the Cubs must be in town so like a 17 year old kid I asked the the front desk is it's sorry. Are the Cubs staying here? They're like, yeah, duh. <laughs> so all of a sudden I start seeing people come down. The first person I see is George Bell. Now George Bell had signed with the, the, the Cubs as like a, a major free agent signing coming off. Uh, so some great years
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, with, I want to say the blue Jays, correct? That's or it, was correct. it the white yeah. socks. Yep. Mm-hmm. So I was excited. I'm like, wow, George Bell, blah, blah, blah. And, I would say there's me and probably three autograph seekers who actually knew that the team was there. They start coming up, and he literally goes, F off. I ain't signing. Wow. And he walks out. And at that same time, from around 10 feet to your left, you would see Sean Dunstan, right?
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: Sean Dunstan looked like us, like, wow, what's going on here? and like he had a look of uh embarrassment and shock and he you know invited everybody over and was you know talking and laughing saying sorry you know he's just being george so right away i took out out of the equation that like okay he's just not having a bad day he's jerk (laughs) and uh yeah sean dunston ended up taking like 13 fans down the street to mcdonald's you know like Hey, wow. look, man, I'm hungry. If you, if you guys want to eat, like, let's go. I'll, I'll, I'll buy your food, but I'll sign your autographs there. But I got to eat before the game. <laughs> and I thought that was so cool. And, you know, and then in, in a weird twist of fate in my my whole life, how this goes, here I see Sandberg. And it was like this aura just coming around Sandberg. And he like, I, I swear we meet eyes. I, I'm sure if you asked him, <laughs> they're not. But we meet eyes. And I, this is my chance. There is nobody around. I go to make a beeline for him and I hit my pelvis into the side. Uh, like, you know, like a part of the table stick out,
0: <laughs> yeah. like
1: it clotheslined me and like literally <laughs> knocked me down. Like I go to a knee and I pop back up. And by that time, you know, people are all over him. And like, he gives me a look like, sorry. <laughs> and like, with these are things that I probably made up in my mind over the last 25 years, but yeah. So, but this is how I remember George Bell and it really turned me off. And it's, it's something that I, I really, you know, I took to heart when I became a professional wrestler was not treat the fans like, like jerks, even if they're being jerks, you you can ignore them, you know, or, or, you know, just say, Hey, like, why are you treating me like this? But yeah, George Bell just, what a jerk! What a jerk! I am so glad that the Phillies accidentally did not protect him.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that's that's where we're going to tie it back into the Phils You know, he's he's probably one of the best almost Phillies. You know, there's a couple there's a couple Phils that got away. You know, Fergie Jenkins is one. You know, he in the trade that with Larry for Larry Jackson uh, to the Cubs. You know, Phillies Cubs connection there. But um, you know, George Bell, he was he was in that. You know, on the In the farm system in the nineteen in nineteen eighty was let go in between eighty and eighty one because they had a stacked outfield. They had Sarge. They brought in Sarge. They uh, had Gary Maddox, Bake McBride, and they had Lonnie Smith, Greg Gross, and Dick Davis in the wings. So George Bell was expendable. Of course, he goes on to win an MVP and is a jerk. (laughs) So allegedly, real jerk. Allegedly, well,
1: well, allegedly, I'm telling a true story, pal.
0: Right. Well, I was, I was kind of a jerk. So we promised we promised, uh, we promised some, some things that didn't make Phillies Nation TV uh, last week as well. And um, one of the things was me being short-sighted and me almost being a jerk. I proposed a Delman, loss weight loss, Delman Young weight loss challenge. Um, Delman Young was in the news last week, uh, another former Philly, not doing good things. Of course, he has his run-ins with the law seemingly yearly. And yearly. One, one of the things <laughs> it's,
1: it's, it's just being kind. Right. <laughs>
0: but one of the things that I proposed for Phillies Nation TV that didn't make it, uh I wanted to do at the time I was a little plumper, and so was Delman Young. And I proposed a weight loss challenge with uh money going to charity for a uh domestic abuse charity. Um that was nixed before it could get off the ground. So um I think my heart was in the right place, but maybe this, maybe the execution was bad. Um, and another one—I don't know if I ever told you this one, Steve. I wanted to do a dead Philly of the week segment.
1: Oh, I like that one. Right? Well, you know, I have that. I have that. That nice. You know what's what's the the, the
0: is it morbid humor you would call yeah, it? Yeah, morbid <laughs> morbid humor, morbid curiosity. So yeah. Yeah, and I wanted. I was thinking about doing that. Um, Deadspin is one of the sites I read every day, and they do a Dead Wrestler of the Week, or they had a segment where they did Dead Wrestler of the Week, where honestly it was a tribute to the wrestler. And um, when you see Dead Philly of the Week written down, it doesn't appear as a tribute, and you usually get don't, don't get the time of day to explain your proposed segment. So <laughs> Dead Philly of the Week never got off the ground. And um, the one time we had Mark Summers in, he was a great guy, uh, did a really nice, fun interview about the vet and hanging out with Mike Schmidt and this and that. Um, and then I made it awkward. I wanted him to pie me. And uh... <laughs> that's where it gets awkward. That's where it gets real awkward. But uh, we did end up uh, meeting up at the set of Restaurant Impossible, which was cool. So uh, things... Yeah, Mark
1: Summers, a, he's a Philly guy, right? Like uh, with Double Dare and stuff like that. Was he a
0: local guy? Yeah. So do he... um. Not a local guy by birth, but a local guy for the last maybe 30 years or so. Yeah, they used to film uh, Double Dare. Double Dare originally, I believe, started on Fox when Fox was first starting out. And they used to film at the PBS studios down in Philly. So Mark Summers uh, had gotten he had been the page for Joker's Wild with uh, Jack Berry. On... Which, was
1: a, which was an amazing, amazing oh,
0: game yeah. right that I loved. Absolutely. And you can check out Steve and I's game show podcast coming next week because I'm sure we... <laughs> I could go on about game shows forever. But uh... <laughs> but yeah, he did uh, Joker's Wild um, and then I think he was doing radio in Milwaukee or the Milwaukee area and he answered a casting call um, for Double Dare. And sure enough, he gets cast on it, moves to Philly and he becomes a Philly guy and he's been here probably the last 30 years, I think. Um, you know, he was there, he said he used to get invited all the time to come down and do stuff on the field at the Phillies games at the vet. And he had, he had all these great stories about seeing Mike Schmidt and those guys. And then, you know, the Dykstra, the Dalton teams, et cetera. So that one, that was probably one of my cooler things that we did on Phillies nation, but it almost came unraveled right before the interview. when I asked him if he'd pie me. So
1: (laughs) now how many times do you think he's gotten that over the years? Yeah, bro.
0: Well, that's, yeah, I think that's where it went wrong. Like, I didn't consider that, you know, and I, I didn't I didn't put myself in his shoes. <laughs> so, <laughs> just, that's like the time I prank called Dog the Bounty Hunter. Uh, but that's a, another story for another day. <laughs> so, uh, we had some movement on former Phillies. We talked about a few of them last week, and we got some of these right. I, I don't know how we did it, but we should... <laughs> Right,
1: we were on fire. Like as people are signing, I'm thinking we're geniuses. We're geniuses.
0: Right, and I, you know, this has to be blind squirrel finds a nut, or it must have been that obvious uh, (laughs) to everyone else. But J. Roll went to the White Sox on a minor league deal.
1: Uh, Yeah, which is which was kind of to me like sad because I really wanted him to get a major league deal. But this is where, uh, and this is my father coming out in me. Like I, I love OTP baseball. I love MLB, the show and stuff like that, but I'm an awful coach because I always, you know, coach with my heart instead of like logical thinking. So yeah, J roll like is one of those guys that I, I always kept or, you know, I had such a hard time getting rid of because of, you know, I loved him so much that I wanted him to have a major league contract, but I understand.
0: Yeah, well, but at the same time, um, he said he turned down two major league offers for more money. But I don't think the starting opportunities were there because if you do the math, and we kind of did this on last week's episode, Chicago seemed to be the best chance for him to win the starting spot. And I don't think he wants to come off the bench. So I think I think he still believes he's a starting caliber player. And um, you know he he still has some power, he still has some speed, and he still has some defense. So we'll see. I mean, I think he's got a shot to get 250 to 300 plate appearances with the White Sox, and I think he's oh, gonna. I,
1: I think he might even have more. I, and it was such a chance that he was taken. I, I'm sure the Sox probably said like, "Hey man, we need you to groom the, these two kids that we got coming up. We're gonna give you a lot of plate appearances." I, I think he's gonna get four. You know, depending on how much production. He, he puts up in spring. I, I could see him getting 400 appearances. Yeah. And by the end, I mean, I, I can't see the the Sox being all the way to September competing. But you know, and then he'll start mentoring these these two kids. But I think they saw him as a great alternative to signing Ian Desmond. Mm-hmm. And and we we saw Ian Desmond sign with the Rangers for literally eight million dollars, which. You know, to us in the real world, eight million dollars is a lot of money. But when you're talking a baseball player that turned down a hundred and seven million dollar extension, he's working for fifty bucks. So right. uh, I think J. Roll really picked a, a good spot. It's going to be exciting to see him with the Sox, and uh, he's going to do good. And then I showed like I don't hate him as much as I hate George Bell, but I, I was really tough on on Cliff Lee and Cliff Lee announced this week that he's basically retiring. You know, he hasn't said that he was, but as as long as far as I know, uh, they don't see him pitching in 2016. So what are your thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, I, I kind of saw it coming. Um, You know, I think with Cliff Lee, he, I think he's the type of guy that if he's not going to be able to give his best or his perceived best, and he's not going to be able to pitch to the level that he's used to. Um, he'd rather hang it up and just call it a day. Um, I think there's part of that comes out in the swagger that you see in the the 09 World Series where he caught the ball so nonchalantly or the um, you know when he he, won, he I, my favorite Clippley memory is when he petitioned Charlie Manuel to hit in the bottom of the 8th inning of the 2009 NLCS against the Dodgers. Uh, when they were up 11 to one, <laughs> and he, came, yeah. he came in, he hit, he got a single and he, I believe he was pulled for a pinch runner. <laughs> so, I mean, um, he, you know, he's a guy who, who always did things kind of on his own terms. And I think that fits, you know, personality wise for, for Cliff, where I think if he, if he can't do it to the best of his ability to be one of the top pitchers in baseball, it's no longer worth his time. And, you know, he's getting paid $12.5 million, which according to our good friend Corey Seidman is the largest buyout in the history of Major League Baseball. So he's doing okay. You know, he's going to make some money this year. Yeah,
1: can you imagine sitting at home and going, yeah, what am I to do with my $12.5 million to just sit here and do absolutely nothing? And it just, oh, it irks me. I wish he would have just... I don't know. I, I I guess you know that's what they fought for for so many years with the the union and and cheap owners and stuff like that. But the fan yeah. in me says give it one more shot with the Phillies. If it doesn't work out, then take your twelve point five million and go. So um, yeah, yeah, but we we had a couple uh, different, more signings too, huh?
0: Yeah, yeah. There was a uh, there was a few more. Don Brown went to the went to the Toronto Blue Jays and that might be a good fit. I mean, it, again, if you try and match talent with opportunity, he might have an opportunity there because they really only have Jose Batista. Like when it when Push comes to shove, they were one of the best teams in baseball last year and somehow had one and a half functioning outfielders. So, it'll be fun to see kind of how he fits in there. Uh, but I think, you know, when I think Don Brown, I think of Glenn Wilson. And, um, wow,
1: I like that. That's a great reference.
0: Yeah, and he was a guy that, um, in fact, their lines are very, very similar. I mean, uh, Glenn Wilson's on base percentage is three hundred six. Dom Brown's is three hundred five. Um, slugging for Dom Brown's four hundred five. Slugging for Glenn Wilson is uh, is three ninety eight. So they're and they're so they on base plus slugging is almost identical. And they were both guys that kind of peaked. They came over, had a real big season. Um, Wilson's was in 85 Don Brown's is in 13 and then for the rest of the year or for the rest of their careers they just kept getting opportunities based on uh, unrealized potential and it's really sad to kind of see Don Brown go like that because he was a guy like Biddle we talked about Biddle a couple weeks ago where you thought this was going to be one of the guys that keeps the party going and the party with the Phillies is going to go on forever.
1: Yeah, and you know what? It, it, he gave us such false hope, and, and I really hope that he he could get it together. But I'm a big believer also in uh, changes of scenery, you know? Right. I believe that you, you can get, be refreshed, new crowd, new, new town, new grass. The, you're, you're playing 81 games in, you, you know, uh, Toronto, such a great city. One of my favorite cities in the entire world. I mean, mm-hmm. top five. So I think, and you know, they have a lack of outfielders that are ready. And he's a guy that if he has a great spring could, could really reinvent himself.
0: Yeah. He's got an opportunity to, to earn himself some playing time, even though, you know, he was in 2014, he was one of the worst outfielders in baseball. He improved, but he was still pretty bad in 2015. So aside from that stretch where he made himself an all-star, um, it's, things have been kind of bad for Don Brown, but you never know, you know, it might just be, you know, I, I've been through situations where I've heard the same thing from different people, but the third person to tell it to me is the one that got through and, you know, whether it be work or personal life or whatever. So he might go to Toronto and find that he clicks with the hitting coach there and, and just, you know, starts to mash again. Who knows?
1: Yeah. And, and that's, that's the thing. I, I think he's in a different position than, you know, another person that signed a minor league deal this week, Shane Victorino, whereas right. Victorino, just like Jimmy Rollins, is fighting to keep his career going, whereas Don Brown is looking to, you know, hit the reset button. And I this is one that perplexed me a lot, especially with so many great outfielders that the Cubs have that, you know, Shane Victorino would sign. Um, would sign with the Cubs, not you know, not that you know the Cubs aren't a great organization, but where can Shane Victorino fit in? You know they, they are so deep in every position. You know I know that he's going back to switch hitting this year. So, um, well, where yeah. do you where do you think that he fits in on, on this on the Super Cup squad?
0: Well, I you know I don't think he makes the team um, because I'm looking at the names here. Yeah, I'm looking at, of course, Dexter Fowler, who was stole right out from under uh, Mark Brown's Orioles. We'll give oh, yeah. Shout out yeah. to Mark Brown. <laughs> he didn't
1: even want to talk about it this weekend.
0: Uh, no, he's one of our great Ring of Honor uh, producers, cameramen, jack of all trades. He does some editing, great work. Um, but, yeah, big Orioles fan. Dexter Fowler uh, looked like he was going to the Orioles. Nope, he's headed to the Cubs. Uh, they signed Jason Hayward, um, who, in my opinion, is worth every penny. Um, he does things that don't really show up on the stat sheet. Um, Jorge Soler, of course, is there. They have Matt Caesar, who is one of the cooler names in baseball. <laughs> yeah, Caesar. Caesar, yeah, but it's uh, S-C-Z, or i I'm sorry, S-Z-C-Z-U-R. And then they have uh, they have guys that have just come in and out of the outfield, like Kyle Schwarber, who they've been playing a lot in left field. Um, he can catch, but I think he's going to end up sticking in left. Um, Javier Baez is another guy that... Um, he can play the infield, but he's been in the outfield. So that's six outfielders right there. Right.
1: And I still think Baez is going to be a little bit of trade bait to get them one more starter. Yeah. But, um, yeah, once it, even if you took Baez out of the equation, you're you're at five.
0: Yeah. And, and, I mean, Ben Zobrist is a super sub. I mean, he's a guy that can come in. He's uh, likely going to start or play regularly in the infield. But, you know, in Tampa Bay, he played all three outfield positions. So if you if you know, best case scenario, there's only five worst case scenario. There's seven very, very capable, um, outfielders, three of which have been all stars or, you know, very recently. So I, I don't see Shane making the team. I do think he'll latch on with somebody. I don't think this is his last go round. Uh, but you know, these last two years have been pretty rough, you know, with the, the Red Sox and then traded mid season to the angels last year. So, I'm hoping he goes out on a high note. Maybe he sneaks in another World Series. But, you know, I, I don't think this was the smartest move. I don't think he matched his talent to the opportunity there because I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of opportunity.
1: Now, I don't know. And we would have to ask somebody more inside on the on the Philly side of the, of the business. Do you think that there was a spot for Shane Victorino, in, uh, you know, even in a minor league deal to yeah. where um, – that Shane could have came back to the Phillies and been a fifth outfielder in more of a
0: yeah role,
1: just like Jimmy Rollins would be in a leadership role role with the Chicago White Sox. Do you think that um th- there would have been the opportunity for Shane Victorino to return to the Phillies in that same same role?
0: You know what? A couple of the the folks on the Phillies Nation Facebook page suggested that, and at first I I scoffed at it. You know, I was like, oh, why would we do that? We're trying to get younger. And then I looked at the composition of the team. So your outfielders today um, in the game: Peter Borges in left, Odubel Herrera in center, and then right field's kind of a question mark. Uh, yeah,
1: a so, huge question, question it,
0: mark. Yeah, we both like Tyler Goodell, uh, yes. but it's, we're not sure if, you know how much he's going to play in left or right. We both, I kind of like Aaron Altair, but I don't know if he's a long term solution. He was the starter today. And then those are your four outfielders. Maybe Cesar Hernandez, you know, maybe they, you know, there's a news release came out today that Herrera is going to stay in center field, but honestly, you know, if things don't work out, he kind of, he flubbed a kind of a blooper today, you know, maybe he gets moved back to second base and maybe Cesar Hernandez to the outfield, or maybe he gets moved to second base and Cesar becomes a utility guy. And then you're down to three if that happens. So, you know, it's not the craziest thing in the world. And I'm not sure if they explored it. No one's really said much. That would have been a pretty cool thing to have. Because right now, they're lacking veteran leadership. And I'm not usually a rah-rah guy in terms of, you know, we need a veteran. We need a veteran. Uh, But the Phillies don't really have one. And the one that they do have kind of made a heel turn (laughs) to 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 use a pro wrestling term. So I think it was a couple hours after we recorded last week. Uh, Ryan Howard, who's definitely um, the most veteran player remaining on the Phillies, uh, he came out and he said some interesting things. Now, he'll turn, uh, for the fans who might not know, for the listeners who might not know, is some wrestling jargon that essentially that means you've become a bad guy. And, a villain. Yeah, you've become a villain. And there's no better person to talk about this than you, Steve. So, <laughs> yeah, he... He turned his back on the the fans, kind of. He said some interesting things. He referenced his money. He referenced the problems he's having with his family. He essentially said, I'll go back to what I said about Mark Summers. He said, you essentially haven't walked a mile in my shoes. To the fans, the coaches, to kind of an unnamed, untargeted target. So what do you make of this? This was kind of strange at a time that the Phillies need a leader.
1: Well, he, yes, and this is the, this is the, the, the bite that celebrities have. And with sports, it can be even worse because it, there's a lot of what have you done for me lately mentality. And I, I'm going to give you a example from a very lower, 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 lower level. You know, I have 43,000 followers on Twitter every once in a while you get the, the the joker that you know craps on your wrestling ability your body what have you done for me lately you're late you've been lazy in the ring and stuff like that and you get to a point where you don't want to hear it anymore and it's not going off on every fan and you you really want to call out the person by name and this and that but you just kind of go off and then that ruins it all. (laughs) I I think that's a case of what's happening here with Ryan Howard, because, you know, Ryan Howard for years since 2005, when he got called up has been a great, a a great ambassador for what the Phillies are. He's Mm -hmm. been, you know, a guy that smiles all the time, a guy that goes out and, and tries his best and doesn't make a lot of excuses. And he, he's the guy that, you know, really, sparked that that golden era. I mean, he hit fifty eight home runs. Right. You know, no one in, in in Philly's history hit fifty besides you know Ryan Howard. So mm-hmm. I see where he's coming from. It was just one of those times when that should have been a conversation in his huge house with no one around, maybe to one of his buddies, but it shouldn't have been something public because. He is on that downswing. He's not hitting left-hand pitching. He's making $25 million this year with a $10 million buyout next year where he's going to if I look at him as a 228 22 home run, you know, 75 RBI guy this year, but a lot of those RBIs aren't going to matter if we're down 6 to 1, you know. Mm-hmm. Um he's going to have to take this beating and that that's what happens with celebrities and social media and all that stuff. So Um, it's just one of those things that I feel it, but it it doesn't make it right.
0: Yeah. And it's tricky because he's, he gets a lot of flack and I'm certainly guilty of being extra hard on Howard because it was frustrating seeing the Phillies kind of collapse and seeing this guy with a huge salary. And of course it's not your money. So, and you're not the person who's on the team that's collapsing. So it's very, very easy for someone like myself, who's an outsider, to be hard on Ryan Howard and some of those stats, some of his stats certainly, you know, warrant that just from a fan's perspective. I mean, I'm looking at fan graphs right now from 2012 to 2015. Howard was 37th out of 43 qualified first baseman in batting average and on base percentage, he was 42nd out of 43. And then in slugging, he was a little bit better. He was 29th out of that of 43. Um, But those are numbers that you know just when you're looking for some hope and you're looking for things to turn around and you're still trying to hold on to the the glory years as a fan and as an observer those are things that are really tough to reconcile um particularly with the high paycheck now we're not the one that gave him the extension and if somebody put a paper in front of me that said hey we're going to give you 25 million dollars all you have to do is show up yeah you know i would sign that i would sign that absolutely but it, it was interesting to see. You know, I got to give him credit in one in one respect. It was it was interesting to see him to start to see some cracks a little bit because he's handled himself so well. He sure
1: has, and I think that's uh, one of the reasons that it, it it hurt fans to hear like him talk like that because hey, where did this come from? Right. You know? He, he's not a guy that complains.
0: Yeah, and I, and I think there was a lot of reading between the lines. And I think he was very smart in terms of what he said because if you read the transcript, it doesn't come off as bad as if you kind of want to, you know, what came out of his mouth. And it wasn't anything like, you know, Brian Pillman in 1992. The fans can go, you know, blank. But it was, it was, it was kind of like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm me. Put myself in, you know, put yourself in my shoes. I've had some stuff go down. And, you know, Again, should he have maybe saved that for his buddies? Yeah. But at the same time, I got to give him credit because he's probably been the most criticized athlete in Philadelphia probably in the last four or five years. So, you know, kudos for him for for saving it this long to let off some steam. But he's, uh, you know, he's a great pick to start our infield preview. But before we do that, I just want to give out a shout out to our two sponsors. We have two sponsors, Steve, now that we're we're on the, the front page of iTunes. So I
1: love it. I love it. Hey, keep coming, you know. Email Ian, you know, he'll give you his information. We'll get the sponsored stuff. We'll wear your stuff. Uh, you Absolutely. Know. I mean, it's a podcast, but you can take us as honorable guys. Right now I have my Kill Kill shirt on, my Phillies pajamas.
0: There you I'm go. Ready to go. Yeah. Well, our first sponsor, speaking of stuff you can wear, I have some great shirts from this place. It's Shibe Vintage Sports. They're at 137 South 13th Street in Philadelphia in between Sansom, Sansom and Walnut. And uh, Brian Michael is our guy down there. He's got some great vintage apparel uh, for all your Philadelphia sports teams, including some cool stuff from the Philadelphia Stars, which were the nice. USFL team. Yeah, And uh, he's got some cool stuff uh, regarding Spectrum merchandise, stuff like that. He hooked me up with some cool shirts. And my favorite stuff down there is the Philadelphia A's apparel. So he's got some cool stuff uh, Philadelphia A's wise, all licensed. Um, et cetera, et cetera. So go down and say hi to Brian for me. 137 South 13th street in Philadelphia. Um, you can find them on the web at shy sports.com. They're hooking us up with some great web support for this podcast as we grow. And then of course the other sponsor, we couldn't do this without the 100 greatest Phillies of all time as written by me. <laughs> and Rick yeah. yeah uh, thank you so much for making that the, um, one of Amazon's number one baseball hot new releases for 2015. I'm extremely flattered by the support and we're taking the money that we made from that putting it right back into the podcast to deliver this each and every week for Phillies nation. So go to Amazon. You can type in 100 greatest Phillies. You can type in Phillies nation. You'll find it. It's the only book by Ian Riccoboni, uh, edited by my mother-in-law, Barbara Morris, and with contributions from CBS three sports anchor, Pat Gallen. So you definitely want to check that out. You can buy that today on Amazon and you'll want to read that. Cause it's got a couple, uh, it's got Ryan Howard on it in it, so you can read uh you can read the entry on Ryan Howard. <laughs> was, yeah,
1: right? Yeah, it's a great book. my My brother in law, um, my brother in law Dan is a huge fan of your book, and uh, when we go to spring training in a couple of weeks, he, he's actually going to take it with them, you know, for the ride and stuff like that. So, yeah, you definitely want to pick up that book.
0: Awesome. Well, yeah, there's there was a couple of guys in the book uh who were in the infield. They're no longer with us, so this year the well, they're of course they're alive, they're not dead, but right. That's uh, that's a that's
1: a, that's, a, that's for another segment,
0: <laughs> right? Yeah, that's the dead Philly of the week segment. <laughs> but The, oh geez. the uh, we talked about Ryan Howard, so we'll stay on first base. Um, his competition, I think he's the incumbent, but today uh, in the first game of spring, we saw Darren Ruff uh, get the start. Uh, he had a real nice pick in the infield and. He's a little bit better than Ryan Howard defensively, uh, not much, but he's got a little bit more mobility. And uh, you know, he there's been talk. You know, Pete McCannon, unlike Charlie Manuel, unlike Ryan Sandberg, has openly acknowledged that it might be a smart idea to platoon Howard and Ruff. So I just wanted to throw that out to you, Steve. What do you think about maybe? Uh...
1: Uh, to, to me, I've been waiting for Darren Ruff to to jump out and hit those home runs like he did in Reading and. Once again, he's put in a spot to where he's not going to be a full-time guy. And I believe that he needs to be a full-time guy to get that full potential. And, you know, some players need that. They need that confidence, knowing that they're going in every day with the job. Having him as a a platoon is just right now. I I get it, too. I get it because Howard's still going to hit the right-handers. But defensively, maybe he comes in in the eighth inning on, on days that Howard starts and stuff like that. But... I think if if we're going to pull off the Band-Aid with Ryan Howard and Platoon, we're going to pull off the Band-Aid and try and trade him.
0: Mm-hmm. Get
1: something, you know, whether we, the, the Phillies give half his salary away, 70% of his salary away. I think Darren Ruff, to be successful, needs to be in that starting lineup 150 times a year.
0: Well, yeah, and uh, Ryan Howard, despite only having one year left with a $10 million buyout, he was. Uh, he appeared at number eleven on ESPN's worst contracts in baseball. <laughs> mm. They uh, they estimated that the Phillies would need to take on ninety percent. Oh yeah. So they look. They think Ryan Howard's about a three and a half million dollar player right now. Between, oh, so who
1: takes that? Like yeah, who's the first person that says I'm going to take Ryan Howard, but you are going to pay nine tenths. <laughs> For every dollar you're going to give him ninety cents, and I don't know how this works. And I've I've always been, uh, not not to sidetrack. When you have a contract like that, and say Ryan gets traded to the Pirates, and the Pirates only take, you know, three point five million of the of the twenty five million, who when he gets his check on the first and fifteenth, does he get one full check? Like, <laughs> does the Pirates send him a check for the, the what he's supposed to make, or is it split? Like the Phillies still have to write out that check every month? Like, oh, Ryan Howard, and you're ninety percent
0: hit
1: twenty home runs for the crosstown rivals.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's paid um, in cash or an annuity to the team that the player is traded to, and then the player just receives the check from the team. Okay, but. <laughs> so <they're, it's>... but <laughs> Like Pawn Stars, I do have an expert, so I will ask. <laughs> I will ask my friend uh, Eric, who is very, very, very well versed in contracts and things like that. So maybe next week we will get you a definitive answer for that. That's a great question. I never thought about that. Yeah,
1: I, I always think of that. I'm thinking like, wow, you know, what's what? Where does the uh, where does it go?
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, huh, it's kind of puzzling. I've never never considered that, but. Yeah, I think, Ruff, I'm along the same lines as you. I think he could be a more productive player than Howard. I think for him to get rolling, I think he's 28 or 29 already. But I think even in that late stage of development, I think he's a better player right now than Howard is. Um, We'll move to second base. We already briefly mentioned Cesar Hernandez. Um, Last year, he did okay. I mean... He hit 272. He was 13th in batting among Major League second basemen with 14 plate 400 plate appearances or more. Ninth in on-base percentage, which is actually pretty good. And then just 23rd in slugging. So we know he's not going to hit for a lot of power, but he's got the ability to get on-base. And once he's on-base, he's shown that he can steal at a pretty good clip. He had 19 steals. I think this is pretty much his to lose or his to keep. Um, really don't see much competition out there.
1: Yeah, I'd see. I was I was really happy when they picked up Darnell Sweeney. I, I thought that Sweeney was um, was good. He, he, I, I think he had a good first game. He came in and mm-hmm. you know right away I was a Sweeney fan. It was the Scott <laughs> Menninghoff all over again. Uh, but, you know, looking at the thing hitting 176, you know, what's he going to do? Although he is 25 years old. Right. To me, Cesar Hernandez is that. Andres Blanco player who is you know you can put him in short you can put him in third you can put him in second T's putting him in the outfield. I don't know if he is a full time player, but he did well four hundred uh, over four hundred appearances. You know, mm-hmm. so I definitely agree with you. I, I definitely think that this is his job to lose, and if he has an okay spring, I think they go into they go into Citizens Bank with him uh, in in the full time lineup.
0: Yeah, and uh, you mentioned Sweeney as some competition. Some other names. We saw Emmanuel Burris today. Uh, he played some shortstop. He's 31 years old. He's only a 245 hitter, spent some time with the Nats. He's gonna be vying, I think, for that that 25th man role. Um I think com- some competition from Ryan Jackson, who's played some infield. Ryan Jackson started at third base today, made a nice play to his right, but as you you know, if you look at his stats, he's a twenty-seven year old who is a point uh, zero six one major league hitter so he hasn't shown much success um, and then probably my favorite kind of backup infielder is a guy named Angeles Nina uh, yeah and he got some time today and had a pretty good game in the uh, against the University of Tampa
1: I, I love the name you <laughs> know and I, I love that Pete McCannon's gonna give these guys a shot to uh, to try and win Win spots because it's anybody's ball club. We're we're a rebuilding team. We're throwing a lot of poop against the wall, seeing what sticks. And uh, Nina, you know, two ninety, three twenty seven, three ninety nine slash. Uh, you know, that, that's good. I mean, that's yeah. You know, you're you're talking. What was he? He was in Albuquerque, right? Okay.
0: Yeah. Yep. He uh... and
1: uh, you know, so you know, who who knows? He might be the twenty fifth guy. So uh, I'm interested to see. What what happens there? Burris is, you know, a a 245 hitter, but what happens? Ryan Jackson, 27 years old, uh, I don't know, I don't know. You know, Burris is 31. I don't know. I'd rather spend more time with Nina and, and Sweeney right now trying to develop them once they're 27, 28, and see where they go.
0: Yeah, I think Sweeney, I think Sweeney would definitely benefit um from some more playing time in Lehigh Valley. I think he could carve out a nice role. Uh, he was kind of a super utility man toward the end of the last year for the Phillies after they got him in the Utley the deal. But I think Nina's a guy who's ready to go right now. I think um, he's kind of paid his dues, so to speak. And he's um, he spent two years in A, one with Colorado Springs. And then when Colorado Springs moved their A team to Albuquerque, he did very, very well. He had 300, uh, 330 on base 402 slugging. Um, he's a guy who could steal some bases. He plays good D from the scouting reports that I've read. Uh, and I think he could surprise some people. I think he could be the twenty fifth man um, and back up Cesar uh, at second. But I think Cesar will be the the starting second baseman. So we're in agreement there. How about shortstop? Well, yeah,
1: shortstop. I think is is different. I believe that it's Freddie Galvis for as long as he can go. You know, if he can play one hundred and fifty five games this year, I think that's going to be his. It's going to be his game, and it's going to be interesting to see because sometimes Freddie gets into that, that niche where he hits a home run here, he hits a home run there, and then all of a sudden he wants to hit the home run all the time. Yeah, and I, I believe that if he just keeps going for line drives and doubles, the home runs will come. Keep worrying about the defense, you know, you're, you're, he's midway 13th out of uh, 25, mm-hmm.
0: um,
1: and it's going to come. It's going to come, and I, I love Blanco as his backup um featherstorm should be released right away <laughs> like i don't even want this guy on the team and uh yeah, we we signed featherstorm but we don't have we don't have uh um same victorino oh, yeah. it makes mad. <laughs> but no yeah so i am definitely and i know i say his name wrong because i disrespect him he's featherstorm <laughs> to me so uh, i i see galvis and blanco there what do you what do you see
0: yeah i think galvis and uh, galvis will definitely be the starter I, i'm interested to see um You know, Galvis, I think a lot of people forgets only 26. He he came up as a shortstop. He was 22 years old when the Phillies brought him up in 2012 to be the starting second baseman for Chase Utley uh, when Chase Utley had those knee issues. And he was a premier defensive shortstop through his time in the minors. And last year was his first year as a full time player. And he really improved in all statistical categories. I'd really like to see him make a little bit more of a jump because he showed some things in stints and Lehigh Valley in terms of power, like you mentioned, where he's able to get on a bit of a roll now and again and hit some doubles and maybe turn some of those doubles into home runs. And I think he could be an interesting weapon at shortstop. I do think he slowed down side to side and seeing him at the beginning of the year versus the end of the year. But I wonder how much of that was. It being his first season as a major leaguer where he was not either injured or didn't receive full playing time. So, you know, I think Blanco's great to have. I'm really glad they re-signed him. Um, But I think Blanco, you know, he'll be used as the guy, you know, and McCannon strikes me as a guy that'll use Blanco more strategically in, in ways that we were hoping Sandberg did when they had Rollins and Utley. You know, giving one guy a day off at a time to preserve them for the rest of the year. I could see that happening, especially with McCannon. If, you know, they start to go on a losing streak or, you know, Hernandez or Galvis slows down. I think Blanco fills in nicely there. Um, Featherstone, <laughs> I'm with you, you know, kind of a confusing signing. He's right there with Ryan Jackson for me. Not sure why they picked him up unless they're bracing for an injury, um, which I don't really see happening. Galvis, I think, is going to be pretty healthy. I think Blanco will, too. Uh, but, yeah, I think we're in agreement there. And then the final infield spot, because we talked about catchers last week, so we'll move on to third base. And, of course, I I think we're probably going to be in agreement here. I think this will be a clean sweep. Uh, Mikel Franco. So instead of saying, do you think he's going to be the starting third baseman, um, I'll throw it out there. Do you think he will be – well, I'll just ask. Where do you think he'll fall on the spectrum of improvement? Versus maybe taking a sophomore step back.
1: Well, so I, I always worry about the sophomore step back just because of how great the pitching coaches are in the National League and the American League, for you know, per se, mm-hmm. that they're going to catch up to him. Where, but with the 280, 343, 497 slash line, he, he did great, but 14 home runs. I, I just believe that he needs a full year, he's gonna slump, he's gonna make some mistakes. And it's a great time to do that because we're not going to be that good. This is the time to get those mistakes in, learn from those mistakes, and stay healthy. If he stays healthy, he has the ability to be the power of this team because it's one thing that we lack is power. So uh, Franco could could be that guy that you know we looked upon as man, this guy has tons of tons of potential he's not going to be the best defensive third baseman and and i get that and uh and we'll talk about it a little later where I, i'm going to s- tell you that i don't think it's going to matter <laughs> but um i don't see him going over to first base i don't see any need in it it's not like cody Ashy where man we got to get him out of here because he can't do anything here oh my god we got to get him out of here and so I see Franco being a major, major part of this team this year. I, I believe that when we talk about game-winning RBIs and stuff like that, Franco's the leader. He, he's going to be that guy that's going to come through, and, and I think he wants that big spot.
0: Yeah, and so the thing with Franco that I look at is the fact that, you know, he was only 22 years old, and his plate discipline seemed to improve year to year. Uh, his on-base percentage goes up each time he gets experience at each level. And I, you know, I am bracing for the sophomore slump because I think like you said, there's going to be more tape out on him though. But I wonder too if the game has gotten so, for lack of a better word, global that, you know, the Iron Pigs air every game on TV. The the R Phil's are air almost every game on TV. These teams now have tapes of minor league players at every level. So I'm wondering if that you know, the, the jump maybe the gap in the jump has gotten a little bit smaller because everybody kind of knows everybody else's business now that there's all this tape available. So well, I think you're
1: absolutely right in that assessment. I, I think that there's so much information out there. I, I believe that, you know, the, the, the business of baseball has changed so much over the last few years that, you know, it, you're not surprised when a guy comes up because now you've been preparing for him for three years.
0: Yeah. So I with that, you know, I, my gut says sophomore slump, and I, I hate to be a gut guy because I, I, <laughs> I yell at those guys on Twitter all the time uh, who tell me that Ryan, this is the year Ryan Howard bounces back. Why? Oh, gut feeling. So I I, yell, I usually yell at those guys, but something something in my gut is telling me that Mikel Franco takes a small step back. We see a lot of the mistakes that you were talking about, but ends up having a pretty good year. You know, I think maybe he ends up last year he hit 280. Maybe this year he he hits 270. Um, his on-base was 343, maybe he goes back to 335, but maybe that slugging percentage goes up to 520, and maybe he hits 20-25 home runs. Um, I think he got a little lost last year, because last year's rookie crop was amazing. Bet- between Chris Bryant, Kang, uh, Joe Panik, um so many great rookies just in the National League alone. I think a lot of these national guys slept on Mikhail Franco as a, as a top prospect who had a pretty good year, so... I'm actually excited to see. I think that's maybe alleviated some of the pressure, at least nationally, and I think that's a positive thing for this season. But you know, he's he's effectively eviscerated Kodyashi. <laughs> I don't know what the heck's going on with him. I mean,
1: Kodyashi is just a man without a without a spot. You yeah, know, you know. And what do you do? You, you, what, do you trade him? What do you get for him? You know can he, he can't play third? He can't play left he can't play right field he's going to take some grounders at first
0: mm-hmm. what
1: what can you do with this guy and i like this guy like i i believe that if he could get it together he could be a 255 you know 270 player you know he's not going to hit 30 home runs or something like that but maybe 18 home runs 70 rbis hits 260 i would live with that if he could play defense and um yeah. I, I just me I, I believe that McKenna has just thrown his hands up and said, Man, we don't have anything for him and you know, d- do they go the way of him, you know, being designated for assignment? I don't know if he's out of options or anything like that, but you know, what do you do? You know, do you do you does he not develop if you if you send him down to Lehigh Valley? Or do I just don't know. He he's just such a a weird case that he I, I don't know, you know, and I'm sure the Phillies organization say that to you, like, right. I, I just don't know.
0: Yeah, it, it's really strange because he's been remarkably consistent in his inconsistency. Uh, he's got a t- 246 batting average and, you know, his lines throughout the years, when he came up as a 23-year-old, 235, uh, 24-year-old, he had 252, and then 245, so... He's been a guy that that's been right around his career average, not really deviating too much from it. Um, and it's kind of weird because in a team with a lot of unknowns, he's the most known, and yes. which makes him the most uncertain. So it's kind of like an enigma wrapped up in a tornado, whatever that expression is. Uh, right, right. Yeah. So I don't know what I don't know what to do with him. I mean, I know he missed today's game. We're broadcasting February twenty eighth. Uh, With an oblique, according to RotoWire. So, you know, I'm I'm not sure. And I think the longer he's out in, you know, spring, I think the the more opportunities he misses. So,
1: yeah, more out of sight, out of mind, I think, with him, too. Right. It's just a shame to see. And with this team being so overhauled, he could just be a victim of this overhaul, too.
0: Yeah. And, you know, he's only, you know, he's only 25 years old. Um, He does have, I believe, I think he has two options left, but he will be arbitration eligible next year. So those are certain things to keep in the back of your mind with Ashy, I believe they can option him down this year if they want or need to. Uh, but, you know, he's been a regular since mid 2013. So, you know, best of luck to Cody Ashy as we head into <laughs> 2016. Uh, Good luck, sir. Yeah. So you, we'll take it back to, uh, you know, you were in Vegas. So I compiled a couple quick over-unders for you to, uh, to end today's podcast before we get into the trivia. So uh, I'll throw these out real quick to you because I know we're running up against the wire here. Uh, over-under for Ryan Howard, I set it at 20 home runs. What do you think?
1: I'm going to go with the over, but Ooh. I don't believe that he will be doing that in a Phillies uniform.
0: I'm gonna go the uh, compulsive gambler route. Say under, and I'm gonna say a hair under at 18. Wow! Yeah,
1: I, I like that.
0: <laughs> I, uh... um, let's see, uh, Mikel Franco. We'll go. Uh, we'll go 30 home runs for Mikel Franco.
1: Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, if you... he stays healthy, he's gonna get close. I'm gonna go under, but I'm not gonna go under by much. I'm gonna say if he stays healthy, 28 this year. Ooh. Um, because I don't think he has enough protection. They'll, they'll pitch around him. Yeah. Uh, if he's hurt 18.
0: Okay. So I think he's going to be over. Um, I think, I think the on the batting average and on base is going to go down. I think the slugging is going to go up. I think he's going to make some young guy mistakes and look for the Homer. So I'm going to say that, you know, I think he's going to go slightly over 30. So. Yeah, interesting. We were we were agreeing on everything, and now we're kind of <laughs> we're back and forth with these. Well, how about how about this one? JP Crawford, one of the top prospects in baseball, gets called up before September first.
1: Now, this is what I was talking about a little bit earlier when I said it's not going to matter that Franco is not a great third baseman. Okay. I believe that if Freddie Galvis comes out the gate and's hitting two. Eight- with 16 home runs by July 31st. Freddie Galvis is going somewhere. Interesting. And they'll call up J.P. Crawford um, before September 1st. They'll call him up right in August and let him finish out the year where he, his defense will overshadow Franco's and he's going to be good. I believe Crawford gets the call up on August 1st, not September 1st. What about you?
0: Wow. So yeah, you just triggered a whole bunch of cool thoughts through my head. My my mind is kind of blown because Galvis, if he gets off to a hot start, would actually be quite the trade commodity because mm-hmm. he's got a number of years of team control left in a league that's kind of slowly uh, being you know devoid of shortstops. So you just kind of blew my mind, Steve. But I, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say under uh or I'm not under I'm sorry I'm going to take the after September 1st I think he will get called up I think it's going to be sort of a thank you call up and we've seen we've seen it now and again you know even with younger teams so the the 2007 Phillies and 2008 Phillies they called up some younger guys um you know who had great minor league performances, one that jumps out at the top of my head in 08. I remember Lou Marson coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, the catcher. Or, yeah. The catcher. He had a really great year in the minor leagues. Didn't have a spot for him on the major league team. They let him, they called him up. He had a pinch, big pinch hit home run um, in September 08. Uh, so I think Crawford gets one of those, you know, I, I think things are kind of going to be decided for the Phillies already, you know, standings wise in September. But I think Crawford will have a really good minor league year. I think he'll come up sometime after September 1st when the rosters expand. Because, honestly, we'll go through this at some point. There's a lot of dead weight on the 40-man roster right now. Yes. And so there's going to be room. I I know a lot of people are saying, oh, there's 39 right now. Where do you put him?" There'll be room. You know, there'll be guys that, you know, here today, gone tomorrow kind of thing. So we saw the roster turn last year quite a bit. Uh, I think they use fifty-one or fifty-two players. I think we'll see less than that, but I, you'll see guys get shuffled in through.
1: Now, do, uh, going with your theory that they'll call them up after September first. Now, do you think that's a, a service time issue?
0: Yeah. The... Oh yeah, absolutely. So I, I think you know there's definitely benefit in you know doing the September first deal. Um, I obviously the biggest the biggest hurdle is May first, as we learned from Evan Longoria, from Chris Bryant, all these historic examples where. A team will have a super top prospect ready to go and they'll, they'll wait to pull the trigger until May 1st because uh, then they get a whole another full year. Um, but, you know, they get the freebie if they if they give uh, Crawford the call up after September 1st. So, yeah, I think I think they'll do that. I think cluntech is is kind of hip to that, whereas in the past, the uh, the previous regimes might not have been so. So absolutely. Yeah. And that's that's a great point, too, I think. I think a lot of the fans that want to see Crawford right out of the gate, uh, you'll get another full year out of them if you wait until after May first. So. <laughs> and,
1: and that's the thing where we're building for this. You know, we're we're building for the, the the next golden era. So you know, going with that, going with my theory of the service time, mm-hmm. um, I I think if Galvis has such a great, you know, has such a great first half, and you know, they can get two pitchers, maybe a good. Number four starter, you know what? What do we do here? We can get a back of the the um, back of the bullpen arm for for Galvis. I, I, I believe that they'll they'll take the chance. So it should be interesting. Now you have here Cody Ashkey and Darren Ruff having 200 plate appearances a piece. Now what what do you think of this? Since we, we've already talked about both of these guys, what what do you think happens here?
0: Yeah, so I'm actually going. I'm going under on Ashy. I still think, as we mentioned in a previous podcast, I don't think he breaks camp with the Phillies. I think he's a guy that either gets moved or shuffled. I'm going under for Ashy. I said the same thing about Darren Ruff, but I'm going to go back on that. And I'm going, I've am going i changed my opinion after seeing what's been in, in print from Pete McCannon. Um, I'm going to say Darren Ruff actually gets over 200 played appearances because of the openness and willingness to talk about Ryan Howard as a non everyday player that I've seen from Pete McCannon. So I think Ashy's under and Ruff's over.
1: Very interesting. Very, very interesting. Um I'm go I'm definitely going under with Ashie because I-, I don't believe that he'll be with the team. Um you know whether he's in Lehigh Valley just like you were saying or he's with someone else. Ruff, I just it's a confidence thing. I, I- I can't see him coming out of the shoot and kicking butt. Or, uh, you know playing half the games, right? So, will he get 200 appearances? Yes, I'm going to go yes for Ruff, no for Ashy.
0: Okay, no. So yeah. we we end up agreeing after. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> after, after all this.
1: Yeah. If you're listening, uh, hopefully somebody that's listening and we know you're listening from you know the feedback we're getting, mm-hmm. write it down, and then you know in October we'll see. Uh, who came closest?
0: Right. There you go. We'll, uh, we'll have a little friendly competition. <laughs> and uh, speaking of competition, every week we do a, a Phillies Nation podcast trivia question. Last week we asked the question, the Phillies acquired a gold glove winner this offseason. Who was it? And we'd like to give a shout out to Kyle, at Only Kyle Tweets, who correctly identified Jeremy Hellickson as the gold glover that the Phillies acquired. Kind of a trick question. Kind of a tricky. It was,
1: yeah. Yeah, but uh, that, that one I had to look up.
0: Yeah, that was a good job by Kyle. Uh, he will be the recipient of a 2013 Iron Pigs trading card set of, like we mentioned in the first episode. I'm clearing out my junk drawer, of press items, and things like that. So you're getting the top of the top prizes here in the Phillies Nation podcast. Uh, it features Philippe Amant, and uh, it features a trading card of the Iron Pigs trainer, who uh, a very uh, you know. I believe that's his rookie card it might be valuable. So, we're going to s- Might be. <laughs> so, we're going to get it we're going to get a, get, a uh, get in touch with Kyle, let him know he won and send that out this week. Uh and then this week's trivia question, Steve, is uh is kind of interesting. This is one of my favorite players. He's kind of those one of those weird oddball guys. So, uh we're going to receive a special Phillies Nation prize, something out of the the uh media gift junk drawer. Uh We're looking for what key starting pitcher on the 2007 NL East winning Phillies gave himself the nickname The Real Deal while with the Minnesota Twins?
1: Wow. Okay, so that's a a good one there. So, wow, it was with the twins because when i first read it i had somebody in mind and then i had to i had to erase it so that's a good one what key starting pitcher on the 2007 national league east winning phillies gave himself the nickname the real deal and you know that that's going to be good man we're uh these these trivia questions are getting harder and harder every week
0: yeah well we got to make them work for uh make them work for the goodies and i think uh I think soon we'll be giving out copies of the one hundred greatest Phillies of all time, so stay tuned for that. You know, I'm getting a getting a shipment in from uh from the fine folks at Amazon. They're gonna send some over. We're gonna give those away. And uh but yeah, so this week that's the question. And you know, Steve, we've been getting a lot of great a lot of great feedback and certainly the fans can send in more. How can they get a hold of you?
1: Well, you can tweet me at King Carino. You know, that's uh that's uh, the, the best place to get me or, you know, go to my website, world of dot com. I'll be starting my base brawling blog this week. Now that we'll be playing live games, you know, uh, by the time you listen to this, we will probably already be into um, the Phillies are playing Toronto tomorrow. So I'll be trying to watch that one on MLB TV if it's on or I'll, I'll find some way to watch it. You got to watch it. Right. Absolutely. Uh,
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, uh you know, that, that those are the ways to get a hold of me. How do, how do
0: we get a hold of you? Yeah, I'm at Ian Riccaboni, which is kind of tricky to spell. It's I-A-N-R-I-C-C-A-B-O-N-I. And uh, yeah, that's that's the best way to get a hold of me. And uh, you can always find my my book, The 100 Greatest Phillies of All Time on Amazon. And Steve, I want to give a plug. I just watched your brand new DVD from Ring of Honor, and it was fantastic. You did a a, a pretty amazing interview, which I think was with Mark Brown, who we gave a shout out to earlier.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's over 90 minutes. I think he asked one question and I answer it for 90 whole minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so uh, yeah, you can pick that up at ROHwrestling.com. It's got 15 matches. If you don't like my style, hey, Kevin Owens is on there. Daniel Bryan's on there. Seth Rollins is on there. Jimmy Jacobs, there's a whole bunch of uh, good stuff on there. So, yeah, pick that up, rohwrestling.com.
0: Yeah, and you can see uh, you can see Steve's best friend, Mr. Wrestling Three, every Wednesday night on Comet, uh, calling the action for Ring of Honor, and also locally here in Philadelphia, WMCN uh, broadcasts 11:30 p.m., which is Channel 44. Uh, check your local listings for the HD channel on that. And for another week of Philly's Nation podcast with some some baseball action going, Steve. This has been uh, Ian Riccoboni for Steve Carino. We will see you next week.